You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. Uh, we are vicarless here today. The uh, vicar claims to be having car problems. Um, I don't know if he's uh, looking at the inside of his eyelids this morning or uh, if he actually does have car problems. Pastor, do you want to weigh in on that? Well, uh, since I believe in the Eighth Commandment and uh, since he did <laughs> contact us about it, I'm going to go ahead and say that he uh, is having car problems. Okay, well, you know, uh, since we are talking about holy living on this program, we probably should keep the Eighth Commandment. I was just joking, uh, but I guess <laughs> I guess sometimes uh, joking can uh, skirt the edge of the commandments as well. So uh, welcome, uh, Equipping the Saints. We've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, especially the uh, second half of the book. Our, uh, our goal with this program is to look at the sections in God's Word that talk about how Christians should live. Uh, we know that we are saved by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We know also that Lutherans have kind of a reputation of not talking about holy living for fear that we might give the impression that our holy living saves us. And so what happens is uh, that discussion kind of goes by the wayside. So uh, our program is to dig deep into Lutheran theology and especially the scriptural texts that talk about the life of a baptized Christian. And we are right up now with Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10, and uh, most commentaries take the section 10 through 17 as a unit. In uh, some of our English translations, uh, that breaks it right in the middle of a sentence, but uh, you can't always uh, trust the English there because the Greek is often one long continuous sentence with no breaks, and uh, you got to figure that out on your own. So uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to 17 talks about the armor of God. Very, very famous section of Scripture comes up regularly in our pericopes, whatever series you are looking at. And um, I would say the armor of God is one of those Sunday school texts, one of those passages that many people are familiar with, even if they're not really familiar with much of the Bible or Christianity itself. Your thoughts overall on this uh, word imagery that Paul uses with regard to the armor of God. 
Uh, well, I think uh, it is a picture that maybe was clearer in Paul's day. It was uh, in the ancient warfare sort of world. You know, armor wasn't a very important thing that kind of has disappeared. You know, um, uh, a bomb today will blow you up whether you have armor on or not. And even some other weaponry can cause serious damage without armor. Um, it, we've seen this in the news, right? Tanks being blown up with real thick armor all around them. So... Um, it has kind of lost itself on our regard, um, but if you go back into his time and world, uh, having a strong armor that allowed you to be able to be mobile and yet still protected your vitals and even sometimes uh, uh, more than just that, arms and legs and things, was really important to winning the fight, uh, to completing uh, the, the battle that you were in uh, in one piece. And I think that that idea of armor brings that picture uh, with it as well. And I, I don't think we can separate all this discussion from all the things that have come before, especially with the way that verse 10 begins, the word that's used there. And so I think, you know, we need to talk about that also. Okay. Uh, and uh, I've been I've been working my way through the uh, very good and very lengthy uh, Concordia commentary on Ephesians by Winger. And uh, it's very good. This, uh, this section... Uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to 17 begins on page 699 of Winger. So that tells you what I've been doing in my smoky garage in the evenings. But um, uh, he would submit, and uh, this is something that I think we need to flesh out as well. He would submit that this word picture is all about baptism. And uh, he, he makes a pretty compelling argument. And so I'll be uh, excited to hear your uh, observations and your reaction to some of those things, Pastor, as we move forward. So Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, and I'm reading out of the ESV. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." That's Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. And I'm not sure we're going to be able to make it all the way through those verses in this uh, episode 13, but uh, we're, going to, we're going to plug away and we'll, uh, we'll see how far we get. So, Pastor, you mentioned already the first word. And uh, if my, if my uh, Greek is not um, um, failing me here, this is uh, tu loipu. Does that sound right? That is correct. Okay. Now, um, it's translated here, finally. You know, we've had this long laundry list 
that began in uh, Ephesians 5, where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, is talking about husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. And some people look at this as just one more in that laundry list of things that he's talking about. And uh, it seems to me, and uh, uh, Winger would um, concur with me, how does that sound, (laughs) Um, that rather than this being one more thing in that laundry list, that this is really a summary statement of everything that has come before and that the Greek construction backs that up. Talk to me. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that's, that's a way to look at it and say it. Um, uh, the word here, loipu, uh, means what is remaining. Uh, and so uh, it kind of does both of those things together, I would say. And so um, what's left to say are the things that Paul is about to say. Uh, that's what's there, but it doesn't negate what's come before it. It's not necessarily a summarizing of what's gone before it. It goes with it um, as as something more and additional. But we, we can't just, I think lots of times we take this particular section about the armor of God out of the context of the rest of the book. And this word loipu indicates that it flows right out of it at the very least. And so whether it's a summary or a continuation, um, I think we can... Either one of those things is fine, but we want to make sure we understand that it is a part of the entirety of the book. Summary is my word. Epilogue is I wingers, like that. Is wingers is wingers word. Epilogue, Epilogue sounds uh, sounds like a good way to put it. it. It is the continuation and kind of the final word, the remaining bit. Okay, so we have be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's uh, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Now, Pastor, when I see be strong in the Lord, um, I immediately am thinking back to the exhortations that we read in the book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you. Be strong and courageous. We have um, We have that three or four or five times in Joshua chapter one. Uh, And we we see that quoted by a lot of people today. You know, they'll quote that in in, uh, letters or emails that they send or whatever. Uh, Had you thought about that Joshua connection before? Uh, I hadn't, and uh, I could see that being um, a way to think about it. You know, it is... Uh, the same sort of idea here, I think, that's being used. Uh, in the Greek here, the word is endunamusthe, uh, which is a present passive imperative. And so I really love that. It is an imperative. That means it's a command uh, in its its format. But it is also a passive imperative, meaning this is going to be done to you or at you or through you. Uh, and so I love that particular way. I always like the passive voice because it does indicate something that God is doing. And so God is the one that is doing this empowering. Um, and the way that God works, of course, is through word and means of grace. That's one of the things that Winger emphasizes through this whole section is that God is the one doing the doing. God is the one doing the equipping. And too often we get that flipped around. And with that be strong, uh, as you brought out there with, re- with regard to the passive, 
uh, Winger, Winger says, we have therefore translated the imperative as a divine passive. Be strengthened. Paul is not calling upon the Christian to seek a strength within, but to find in God and where he has pro- find it in God and where he has promised to give it. And then he makes a reference to Philippians 4.13, you know, the most abused Bible passage in the history of Bible passages. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, uh, every kid working on um, his free throws in junior high basketball has been told that by his uh, Christian coach. Um, And this is this is not a magic formula so that you can have a name it and claim it kind of a success. God is talking about a specific kind of a strength that comes specifically from him. Uh, am I am I barking up the wrong tree there, Pastor? Well, I think even more so than just the way you just said it a second ago is the reality that it is God's strength that is the power in which we are being empowered. And so he's the owner of it, and uh, he's the one who's using it through us and in us and for us. And so it's not even some strength or power within us, or if we practice enough or shoot enough free throws, maybe we'll make one. Uh, It is God doing the work because it's his thing, his strength that's being used. The, The way this text is often preached is uh, this is kind of a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of a text. These are all the things you need to do if you want to be successful in your battles against your inner demons or your temptations or whatever. And I think we've already seen uh, in just these first few words that that is very, very far from reality. We need to take a break. Equipping the Saints, episode 13, Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, and now we are joined by the once absent but now returned vicar, Thomas Goodroad. His uh, van has been towed. Uh, he's uh, thinking about getting a loan to pay for the extensive auto repairs that will be needed. And uh, I don't know. I'm making all that up. <laughs> but uh, was your van towed? Um, well, I wound up driving it there, actually. They, on, uh, on the flat tire? Uh, no, we aired it up. Okay. The bead was broken. I couldn't do anything about it till they fixed it. We aired it up. Oh, Word, must, yo. That must be a Missouri talk thing right there. We aired it up. <laughs> oh, We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Been working our way through Ephesians, and uh, we find ourselves at Ephesians 6, the section we're uh, looking at right now, the Armor of God section, Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. And we really, really uh, made big hedge- 
head, headway in our first segment, we got the first three words done of Ephesians 10. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Um, God's mighty strength. Pastor, um, thoughts or words on the strength or power of God. I guess I'm. I want to go back to uh, you know, like the Apostles' Creed, uh, God the Father Almighty. Um, you know. So thoughts. Yeah, I think that's a uh, one of those common places where we confess this uh, this truth. And so here we have the same thing also, where we would say that God is omnipotent. Uh, he has all power. Everything he wants to do, he is able to do. Uh, and there is nothing that uh, he cannot do. And that's the idea here. This is the strength then uh, that we are talking about, that we are being uh, empowered with. It is God's strength, God's power that is behind us. And you think about it, that's a really good good promise, a good news uh, for us in in all the conflicts and challenges that we face every day, the omnipotent God is strengthening us and behind us. And if that's the truth, then what thing do we need to fear? What thing can harm us? What thing could uh, undermine us? There is nothing. Uh, even, uh, you know, as uh, uh, Martin Luther wrote, take they our lives, goods, fame, child, and wife, though these all be gone, the victory still is won because of God's omnipotence. So in a sense then, while this is an imperative, this is a command because it's that divine passive with regard to the imperative, uh, we've got a promise here. But it's not a promise for everyone. This promise is limited. It says, be strong, or as we heard from Wenger, be strengthened in the Lord. In the Lord. Now, I want to, I want to posit the, uh, the idea or the possibility that this in the Lord talk is, um, or phrase is a clue or a key connecting us back to the sacrament of holy baptism. Um, Ephesians 3.16, I asked you to uh, look that up, Vicar. What does that say? That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, so in Ephesians 3.16, we have the Holy Spirit who is strengthening us. And uh, if you want to go back to Ephesians 1.3 then, uh, Vicar, Ephesians 1.3, and see if, I'm, see if I'm making the connection here or if I'm uh, just blowing smoke. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed us in Christ, the Spirit who strengthens us. Are these all allusions to promises or declarations that we are given as we are made in Christ in the sacrament of holy baptism? Pastor? 
I don't have a problem thinking that. Um, that definitely is the way that we become Christian, is through the waters of holy baptism. And even um, it's the reason that God's omnipotent power is behind us. I think uh, even this particular passage uh, in Ephesians 6.10 helps us understand that idea even a little more clearly in the fact that it uh, we are being strengthened in the Lord uh, and in the strength of his power. And the word here is krateo, which is um, uh, it's where we get our word democracy, right? The people have the power or um, uh, the other forms of government that have that krato, krasi uh, word in there. Um, and I think then that this does define more of the reality of what baptism is in that it's not just making us a Christian, me and Jesus, but it brings us into the church, the authority, the power, the government, maybe, of the church. It makes us a part of that, and it is something uh, even more than we oftentimes just oversimplify it to be. I, I think that's very well said, and that is the perfect segue to get us all the way to verse 11 of Ephesians. Flying six. through it here. We are flying through it, and uh, nobody will accuse us of... Uh, uh, being, oh, what's what's that racer cartoon program that all the kids watch? The, you you know. mean Speed Racer? Speed, that's speed that's racer. from like the 1980s, Pastor <laughs> Poppy. <laughs> well, see, that tells you how. Maybe the 70s, too. That, I don't know. That tells you how hip and with it I am. Uh, so um, I, I, guess, I suppose that's a boomer thing, right? The boomer thing <laughs> to, that would think To of call that. kids from the 80s. Kids? Yes, yeah. that would yeah. be a boomer thing. <laughs> uh, when were you born, Pastor? Uh, I, you know, I was born in the 80s, I'll say that. <laughs> okay. All right, he doesn't want to give any personal information out over the year. Oh, what a guy. Verse 11. Vicar, do you want to put uh, give us a uh, refresher of uh, so people can hear your voice? Uh, Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on, put on. Now, I, I've been teaching our Romans Bible study that whenever you have this uh, put on or put off uh, kind of language, that this is code word for remember your baptism. And uh, the, uh, the word there, I'm not uh, very good at pronouncing, pronouncing those things. Endusasta, endusasta. Uh, something yep. like that? Endusasta. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, that is oh. to clothe oneself or to put, one, uh, to, uh, put on. Um, and again, uh, in light of the fact that we started this section with that divine passive, can that be carried over then? Uh, Winger translates this, let yourself be clothed with. Uh, your thoughts on that, emphasizing the fact that God is the one doing the doing. Yeah, um, this one holds the potential to be a middle, uh, which is why I think Winger translates it that way. So it's not 
uh, as passive. It's it's a middle here. But I think what this word does is you see the style that Paul had. This tells you about his great education. We have in verse 10, we have the word endunamusta. Uh, and now here we have the the different verb endusasta. And then a little bit later on, we have the word dunastai. Uh, and all of these things are similar sounding words, but they're slightly different meanings. Um, you know, one means to be empowered. One means to be clothed. One is the word for power itself, but they have the similar thing, which tells you Paul's great education and style and how pleasing this would be to be heard in the original Greek. Um, I know that wasn't your question. I forgot what the question was now. But No, um, but it was just more of the baptism talk. Um, on page 701, Winger says it this way. Um, it is entirely possible to translate the imperative as clothe yourselves or put on without offending against the monergism of God. But the permissive middle, and that's what you were talking about, yep, that middle it's voice. It's the middle. But the permissive middle gets at the theological sense of the pericope, which stresses the armor, strength, and defense provided by the Lord. I like that. Yeah, and I think that's a great part of it. When you are baptized, uh, we are not to forsake our baptism. We have an entire section in the Book of Concord that talks about this. Because we have been made alive as Christians, uh, we go to church, right? We don't skip church and stay home. We don't do bingo instead of uh, church. We we don't do other things. What we do, because we have become a Christian, is we act like Christians. We do Christian things. And uh, that, that brings this middle voice uh, idea out to... Uh, uh, in this particular text. I think another way to think about it, um, you know, when you put on armor, you don't take it off in the middle of the battle. You keep it on the entire time when you're in the fight. Um, you, If something's coming loose, you take a moment pause to tighten it so that you are protected and safe in that armor. And that's why then it is this middle voice. You put the things on yourself and you keep them on yourself. Uh, very well said. Uh, just a, another little uh, a point from uh, Wenger. Uh, none of the actions in this unit may be counted as the Christian's contribution to winning the battle. It is the Lord's battle and his victory on our behalf. Thus, one might imagine God putting the armor on the Christian, dressing him as a parent does a child. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that... Uh even in the ancient world, um, maybe a way for you to think about it is, uh, I know this is in your boomer generation, right? The the movie with Danny Kay, uh, where he's the knight. Um, you know that movie? I do know that movie. Uh, but the name of it will come it's, to me at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Movie. It's a great movie, but you'll see in there... Dan, Danny Kay, one of the one of the greatest comedic actors of all time. Yes. The uh, vessel with the pestle has the pellet with the poison, but the uh, <laughs> flagon with the dragon has the brew that is true. Anyways... Um, court jester. He, the court jester. There you go. He's not able to put the armor on himself. It has to be tied in different places that he can't reach, especially when he's got the armor balancing on himself. Um, even things like getting on the horse, you need somebody with a hook and a pulley to pull you up so that you can get onto the horse to go into battle. There needs to be someone else helping you with that. And that's something that was true in the ancient world as well. Well, you see, you see many of these uh, movies where you've got the knights in armor, or the knights going out to battle, especially the important ones, and they have their steward or their assistant 
you know, that's wrapping them up and putting all the, the parts of the armor in just the exact spot that it needs to be. That's kind of the picture that I had in my mind rather than a, uh, a, a parent dressing a child. This uh, emphasis on the full or the whole armor of God, uh, Winger says, Indeed, Paul's point is precisely that Christians have already been given the armor, but they may be unaware why they needed such heavy armor until the nature of the battle is described to them. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing, too, because I think we are often caught unaware of just how much the devil and all his minions, the devil, the world, and our flesh, are actively battling against our faith, actively battling against the baptized Christian, trying to tear him out of the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Vicar, you... Uh, you I, I made a face because when you're talking about somebody putting on armor on someone else, I was going to say, oh, you mean like in Lord of the Rings, the two towers, when uh, King Theoden is standing there ready to battle against evil and, and have his uh, all of his people putting his armor on him. Anyways, Bo Boomers don't know anything about that. <laughs> this is Equipping the Saints. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship anytime. Sunday mornings, 8 and 1030. Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday evenings year-round at 630. We have special opportunities for worship during Advent and Lent and Holy Week. So check out our church website for all the uh, up-to-date uh, times and things there. You can catch every one of our worship services live on KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Or you can listen anytime you want, thecross957.org. Uh, we're working our way through Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking specifically at Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. It's obvious on this uh, episode 13 that we're not going to get that whole section done. We're going to have to make this a two-parter. But uh, in verse 11 um, of Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This uh, putting on the whole armor of God, we've kind of alluded to this already, but I wanted to make sure that uh, our allusions are clear. Um, earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, uh, 24, 4, 22, that whole section, it, uh, it's very clear that this put on imagery is in reference to holy baptism. And uh, we see the same thing in uh, Romans 13, Galatians 3, 27, kind of a famous passage there too, uh, talking, uh, linking this putting on with the gift of holy baptism. And now when we've got this put on the armor of God, this is, a, this is armor, but it's a type of clothing. 
and we have kind of a clothing metaphor that is woven all the way through Scripture. Uh, you know, I think all the way back to uh, Joseph and the uh, multicolored dream coat, the coat of many colors. We have Adam and Eve in the garden being clothed by God with animal skins. And we have clothing, you know, really playing kind of an important part all the way through. To see the these clothing narratives and these clothing metaphors as a picture of holy baptism, to me, really kind of opens up the scripture in, in a whole new way. Your thoughts on that, Pastor? And I, I think that early Christians emphasized this much more than we do. Uh, when you look at the rites for the Easter Vigil all the way back to the very early days of the church, the oldest rites that we have in that regard— when a person was becoming a Christian, um, they would have a long period of catechesis that would take place, and that would be all day, every day, uh, oftentimes for the entire season of Lent, and they would put on these uncomfortable, scratchy clothes during that time as a reminder of their sin as they are learning the Christian faith, and then it would culminate at the Easter Vigil when they would go and they'd be baptized, and they would strip off that scratchy, uncomfortable clothing. They would walk down into the baptismal font and be baptized and then walk up onto the other side where they would be clothed in a white linen robe. Uh, just as we say in our baptismal rite, um, receive this white garment to show you have been clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all of your sin. It was a very literal thing for the early church, early Christians uh, in the rite of baptism that that took place as a, you can imagine, a visual reminder of this truth, as well as, you know, you can feel the difference even on your skin when you wear this new robe after you get baptized. And so in, in that way, I think some of those liturgical rites that have fallen by the wayside in, um, in our modern time uh, really affect the way that we bring these ideas across. Well, it's interesting, you know, and I, I really appreciate that historical connection there. But, uh, you know, Luther teaches us so often in the small catechism just little things that remind us of God's love, God's grace, God's promises to us. And for the most part, everybody, unless they're going to be on a Zoom call, uh, for the most part, everybody, when they get up in the morning, first thing they do or one of the first things they do is they put on their clothes. And uh, Vickers rolling his eyes like he'd never heard of that before. Of course, he's from Missouri. Uh, I get messy <laughs> when I brush my teeth, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I don't want that word picture. But uh, this, is, uh, this is a daily reminder. Uh, as you put on your clothing, you put on Christ. You remember your baptism. You return to the baptismal waters. Uh, Vicar, Revelation 19.14. Let me find it here one second. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Okay, Pastor, you're the revela Revelation dude. Um, Winger says that's a uh, uh, connection to God's gift of holy baptism. It is, but I think uh, we have to go back to Revelation 7 to understand it, because that's when we first see these people, the great multitude of every tribe and peoples and languages standing before the Lamb and before the throne uh, with palm branches in their hands, and they're singing to God, and they are wearing those white clothes, those white garments. They have been clothed in that. And I think even before that, 
They're given white robes earlier and told to wait a little more until the uh, number of Christians to be saved is completed. And I, I don't remember that particular chapter and verse off the top of my head, but I think that's before that. And so you see throughout all of Scripture this idea of being dressed in a white robe. Um, even in Isaiah, we could say, um, you know, all of our sins were as scarlet, but they have been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. That kind of picture that comes from Isaiah also, uh, and I didn't quote it exactly there, uh, is the same picture teaching us to look to baptism and forward to baptism. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's move on then in, in verse 11. Uh, you put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Um, that you may be able. Um, that's the purpose of the armor, right? Uh, you're putting on this armor that you may be able. And then we have this, uh, this famous word, um, to stand. What, uh, what can we learn from this, Pastor? Um, it's almost as if we have like the scene of the battle going on here. And that you may, have, you may be able, that you may have the power, and then to stand. Um, what, what does that have to do with, with battle? Uh, you know, I guess I want to hide behind a rock if I'm in a battle, uh, or a tree or, you know, uh, one of my fallen comrades corpses to protect myself. Uh, help me out here. Well, again, I think that uh, idea shows our modern viewpoint of what battle is in the ancient world. The way that you fought a battle was you lined up next to all your comrades and you walked across the field towards another group of people lined up next to their comrades and you stood and you hit each other with spears and poked each other with swords and you had to stay on your feet uh, that was the most important thing so that there would not be a hole in the line. If there's a hole in the line, uh, then the chances are good you're going to lose because they're going to push through that hole and then roll up the line along its length. Um, and so this standing to fight is really an important idea. Maybe we could think about it in terms of a boxer. You know, a boxer has to be standing to continue to punch at the other guy and fight in that particular way. And uh, so it's this ability to stand. Um, and it's against then the thing you're standing against, the thing that's coming at you that you're fighting against are the methods, the schemes of the devil. And uh, we, we see this battle take place throughout all of Scripture from Genesis um, chapter 3, when Satan first attacks humanity, all the way through the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. And that phrase there, this battle and this idea of the schemes of the devil, brings that picture to a close here. Pastor, I, you, you, when you brought up the, uh, the boxing imagery there, that made me think, um, how do you know who's the winner at the end of a boxing match? The only one who's standing. You know, un unless it's a technical knockout or something like that. But, uh, you know, in, in the history of boxing or wrestling or something like that, uh, there's only one man standing at mm -hmm. the end. And uh, I thought that was, that was the picture that came into my mind here. And at the, uh, the battle's already been won by Christ. And uh, the ultimate victory is ours. God gives us this armor, and in a sense, um, you know, we know that with God's armor, we will be standing 
at the end. That's the confidence that we have going into this battle. Vicar, um, it talks about the schemes of the devil. Can you give me some examples of how the devil schemes against the baptized child of God? Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me would be uh, C.S. Lewis book, The Screw Tape Letters. I know that we talk about that a lot in the general Christian world, but um, I think that paints a really great picture about how the devil tries to use anything and everything to distract a person. Even if someone, for example, goes to church, uh, the devil is still constantly scheming, even while you're sitting in the pew, to, oh, maybe I'll distract him uh, with... I don't know, this little thing over here. Maybe uh, maybe I'll, I'll send a girl to go and, and distract him a little bit. And, and I'll try to prey on, on this aspect of his personality or that. You know, if someone has an addictive personality or something, maybe, maybe I could distract him with a little bit taste of an alcohol or something like that. Um, there's, there's a plethora of things that Satan is constantly trying to do. I think Paul says that uh, we would be absolutely appalled if we saw how many... Uh, flaming darts were pointed at us at all times. The uh, and and I think that that's a great uh, picture there, uh, Vicar, with regard to how Satan attacks the individual. You know, kind of whispering in our ear. You know, we've got that uh, that screw tape letter. You know, uh, Satan is a deceiver, Pastor. The first thing that came to my mind with regard to the uh, schemes of the devil was false teachers. And false teachings, trying to rob the baptized Christian of their hope, their comfort, their assurance. Yeah, I think Satan's kind of a one-trick pony. He's very, very good at the trick, but uh, he really only does one thing, and that, you know, all these things that the two of you have said uh, are that method uh, in that he attacks God's Word. He twists God's Word. He takes it out of context. He speaks contrary to God's Word. Everything that he does uh, with that Word infects our minds and our hearts and uh, leads us astray, and it, it happens all the time. But that's the thing that he does, and that's the, the method that he continually uses to uh, great success against Christians uh, and people in our world. And with the confidence that we have in Christ, uh, hopefully we're going to change that uh, pattern of success that he has. Vicar, before we go into the next break, do you want to read verse 12 of Ephesians 6? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, we've got a... Uh, a big laundry list of the things that are attacking us and uh, we have kind of a wrestling match uh, not boxing sorry pastor but we have a wrestling match that's kind of brought to mind here in Ephesians 6 verse 12. I want you to ponder those words and we're going to tear them apart when we come back. This is equipping the saints. Don't change that dial. Listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Jesus, 
Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're working our way through Ephesians. Uh, we've been for the last several episodes on Ephesians 6, and now we're parking the car at the uh, famous section that talks about the whole armor of God. And uh, I guess if uh, Poppy was going to paraphrase a subtitle for this section, it would be the baptismal armor of God. I think uh, I think the text brings that out very clearly. We want to look at verse 12 in uh, this this segment. Uh, Vicar, do you want to read verses 10, 11, and 12 so we get the uh, get everything in context? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, we've, uh, we've talked before, and uh, <clears throat> Winger had, uh, in his commentary, had pointed out that the, uh, the average Christian doesn't realize how big of a battle he's in for. And so if you, if you think you're going to be in for a minor skirmish, you know, you might, you might not put on your full armor. Um, you see, you see maybe a movie in uh, Vietnam or Korea or World War II movie where the guy is just going to do something real simple. He might not put on his helmet, and then the sniper gets him. Uh, when when we get lazy, when we don't put on our full armor, um, then we open ourselves up, and we do have a real battle. That is going on here, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, when I hear that, uh, that kind of sends shivers up my spine the wrong way. You know, uh, th this is kind of fearful talk, and God wants us to be aware who we're up against. It says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And yet, Pastor, earlier we said that um, some of the battles or some of the schemes of the devil um, are actually carried out through flesh and blood human beings like false teachers or false friends. So how are we to understand this, that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood? Well, um we might be fighting against flesh and blood, but ultimately we're fighting against Satan and his lies and his deception, as we were talking about before the end of the last break. And this is the idea that Paul has brought through the entire book of Ephesians. I don't know if you remember our earlier episodes on this or not, but we were talking about um, you are no longer under the authority of the prince of the power of the air, but now you're under the authority of Christ. And just a minute ago, we talked about how we've been clothed, um, and as a result, we talked about baptism. We are under the power or the government in baptism of God, the Lord. Uh, the word we talked about was krato, and this is now being contrasted against the word kosmokratoras, which is the uh, power of the world. And so, yes, the powers of the world, the Lord of the world, uh, can be 
worldly kings and rulers. It could be an army that's coming against us. But all behind all of this is the true Lord of the world, who is Satan, uh, or at least was before Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, and all authority on heaven and earth was given to him instead. And so Paul is setting these things up in contrast to one another. He's been doing it the entire book, and now here he's doing it again. You said before, Pastor, that Satan's kind of a one-trick pony. And here in this verse, it appears that this one-trick pony deploys a multitude of different forces and a multitude of different tactics to carry out his one trick, which is to lie and deceive. Is that, a, is that an accurate observation? Yeah, it is. And uh, you see this take place in politics, right? So we're talking about Krato, uh, power, authority, governments, that sort of idea. Uh, how many politicians quote the scriptures? A lot of them. How many of do it correctly? Uh, very few. You know, uh, or you talked about false preachers. Uh, false preachers will use enough of the Bible, even, um, uh, you know, the worst of them all in our modern world. Um, Joseph Smith, the leader of the Mormons, uh, he quoted a lot of scripture, but he did it wrongly and out of context and added in a whole bunch of nonsense of his own. Um, and so um, that's the one trick. It comes in many different ways and forms and fashions. But if we know God's word, we can see it coming at least some of the time. <laughs> Excellent. Vicar, your thoughts on this? Um, another analogy that maybe would be helpful for our listeners here would be uh, when you're playing tug of war, are you fighting the rope? Are you, you know, are you tugging against the rope? Or are you tugging against the people on the other side of the rope? I think that here the analogy would be the flesh is the rope. It's you fighting against, you know, whoever is going to have authority over your flesh you're fighting against satan the, the powers uh the cosmic powers over this present darkness it's it's you fighting against satan and all these powers not you fighting literally the flesh the flesh is just the rope and that's interesting too i like that analogy vicar because when you're when you're doing tug of war uh you usually only see the person in front of you or the person behind you you look at the opponent on the other side and you see maybe one or two persons you don't see the line of people that are behind them and i think sometimes we are lulled into a false sense of security when we think that the battle is not real the battle is real but we have been clothed with the armor of God by Christ, who has already won the victory. And so it's only, uh, it's only by our, our foolishness and by our unbelief that we can get swept away. We've got some uh, interesting word pictures here in verse 12, Pastor. Uh, we've talked about some of them. Um, authorities, rulers, um, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Cosmic powers over this present darkness. That seems like, like kind of an ominous way to say the devil and his minions. Thoughts on that phrase? Well, that's that word that I was talking about, uh, cosmokratoras. Um, and I think that that is kind of an ominous way of saying it, but I think it's probably wise uh, for it to sound ominous because he is ominous and he is dangerous. And even though he's a one-trick pony, we don't want to um, 
take that trick lightly. Uh, you know, any more than sticking your head in the mouth of a lion, you don't do that lightly either. Um, you want to make sure you understand who he is, that he is roaming about like a roaring lion and that he is posed to strike at any moment. And I think this idea of this darkness, right, uh, the darkness that we are in is important also because um, it is then setting it up again in opposition to Christ, who is the light of the world and shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Um, the one solution to darkness is light. That's the one cure for darkness. And uh, Paul is making sure that that is completely clear and that there's no gray area in between uh, for us to serve ourselves or our own ideas. Just, uh, you know, I talked about before, every time we put on our clothes, it reminds of reminds us of our baptism. Uh, every time we see the sunrise, it should remind us of Christ's victory over sin, death, and the grave, because light does conquer darkness. Life conquers death. These are all word pictures that we can play out very, very simply in our, uh, in our daily lives. The last one is the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, now, we've had this evil word before, the spiritual forces of evil, that's uh, one part of the phrase, and then in the heavenly places. Uh, are they confined in the heavenly places? Do they work on me or against me here on earth? Uh, how, how does that tie into what we've been talking about, Pastor? Well, again, we, we said earlier that uh, the the enemy is the prince of the power of the air, the ones uh, who are here. We're talking about then, of course, not just the cosmocratora, uh, uh, Satan himself, but also then his fallen angels, the pneumatiki uh, of, uh, of the evil the evil spirits of the air, the heavens, the the things that have fallen uh, that seek to deceive us along with Satan. And so it's not just a one guy that we're against. It's against all the other fallen angels that went with him. Sometimes Paul can be a little bit, um, well, I'll just say it. Sometimes his, his uh, descriptions like this can be a little bit confusing with regard to are there, are there levels of heaven? Um, is there like a middle kind of a heaven? Um, you know, some, sometimes this is kind of confusing, and, and I think most Christians think pretty simply that uh, there's hell, there's earth, and there's heaven. And what, what Paul is describing here is the place where the battle takes place. And that's where we live and move and have our being. This is where the battle is taking place, not some sort of uh, mythical, can I say it, Middle Earth or something like that. You've got that look on your face. You mean the look I was born with? Yes. Handsome and uh, uh, beyond all belief? No, yeah, no comment. Um, I mean, it is the battle is taking place here. Uh, and I don't think anyone who's in their right mind would say it's taking place in Middle Earth. You know, um, Middle Earth, the, the, all that. I is, don't even uh, know what that is. I just know the term. Well, it's from The Hobbit and, and uh, Lord of the Rings, and it's a fictional book, of course. But I think the, those 
worlds, that book, uh, the ideas that come out of that do give us a picture of good versus evil in the same way that so many other stories do, which is why I think we tell those stories, because the good versus evil in the stories that we see and that we tell help us to understand our own lives where we're dealing with good and evil and trying to understand it and comprehend it uh, as it attacks us and as it poses challenges to us. And so, uh, yes, it is our world that this battle is taking place in, and the victory has been won in uh, this world as well through Jesus Christ. Uh, Because Christ is the one standing after the battle. And then in Christ, we have the confidence that we stand as well. Uh, Winger on page 706 says, with such language, Paul wishes to lift our eyes to see the true nature of the battle that is being waged on a grand, cosmic, and spiritual scale. Yet Christians need not fear these forces as if they were above them. For through baptism into Christ, we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places where these enemies are under our feet." And that's the uh, word picture that we have from the end of Ephesians chapter 1, where Christ has ascended, fills all things, and uh, has all, all the enemies of the world safely under his feet. Well, we do have kind of a break here because we have another therefore at verse 13. <clears throat> so we'll continue our look at our, in our next episode, uh, Ephesians 10, or Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, and we'll work on 13 through 17 when we come back. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love to have your comments. God's richest blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.